when Florence and I retired, we, we, we promised ourselves we would take a, a special holiday in the summer of 2020. We'd always dreamt of uh, a holiday in the Canadian Rockies. We've been through the, the, the brochures, saw all the wonderful pictures, saw the, the sights on YouTube. Uh, and we booked a trip to Vancouver and to the, the popular tour of the Rockies and the, the glaciers, etc. Our anticipation of, of the, the mystery that lay ahead though was dampened and frustrated when the coronavirus turned everything on its head. We stood on the, the threshold of a, what we might have said, a, a promised land, when in the providence of God, it was clear, we'll not be there. Now, the storyline of Deuteronomy is about the Israelites' anticipation of the promised land. The land flowing, we remember, with milk and honey. A land of their own where they would prosper. The land they, they once stood on the threshold but didn't make it. And once again, 38 years later, the tribes of Israel are overlooking the promised land. Moses, their long-suffering and long-serving leader, preaches a sermon to them, which Deuteronomy is, a sermon needing preached and prepares them for their future. 38 years earlier, they made a choice which bound them to a future of wandering in the wilderness. Surely, they weren't going to make the same mistake. Down chapter 1 and verse 32, and I trusted you turn the Deuteronomy up again, and we'll be looking at some verses in chapter 1 through to chapter 3. In chapter 1, verse 32, the earlier <coughs> multitude of Israelites, even though they had been led by God by fire at night and a cloud by day, in fact, he had rescued them from slavery and set them free, fed them and watered them. But we read, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. And we read, the Lord in anger swore that in verse 35, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your forefathers. Not one single person was going to get so much as a look at the good land that was promised. Now Moses had survived the 40 years in the wilderness. It took 38 years, we read in chapter 2 and verse 14, for a generation to die off before the opportunity arose again for entry to the land God had covenanted to give them. Those who were making the choice this time were the children of the generation who had been rescued from slavery. Census would show the majority were in their early 40s and below. Those Moses was now addressing were the children born in the tents they transported around the desert. The generation who knew nothing of the harshness of the Egyptians 
The young women and men who had formed a, a, a culture, culture of nomadic existence, who were now raising young families who knew nothing but having sand in their eyes and making long journeys in extreme heat and dry land. Now, last week, Christoph referred to the conclusion of Moses' sermon in chapter 30 and verse 19. And the issue being there, the choice that is made. The imperative was choose life. We read, now choose life so that you and your children may live in verse 19. And so what will be your future is the question being asked today. So the title of today's message is Choose Your Future. Where will it be? Can, can we keep that question in our mind this morning? Your future. What will it be? Choose your future. I'm sure some of us uh, have read the chapters for today. And I'm not proposing to uh, go through all the three chapters. But you might scan them with me as, as we get a gist or, or the substance of what is included. Get an overview of the text. And we see in chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, Moses begins his sermon referring to the vision of what was to be their future in the land God promised in the covenant he made with Abraham. They had the future before them, a future to grasp, land from Arabah to the Euphrates. And in chapter 1, verses 9 to 17, there's reference to the, the corporate leadership that was required to govern such a large tribe of people. And we read that 12 wise, understanding, seasoned men were chosen. And I suppose that's a prototype of the eldership system that we have in the Presbyterian Church. And then in chapter 1, verses 19 to 25, the Israelites had reached the edge of the promised land. Spies were sent as a reconnaissance to survey the land and the people. The 12 representatives scrutinized the territory and find it as good. And then in chap chapter 1, verses 26 to 46, we see, although they had that great message that the land is good, the people rebel. They take cold feet. They're overwhelmed by the thought of facing the Amorites. Initially, they failed to trust the Lord, but after some hesitation, they attempt to face the enemy. And we read in verse 44, the Amorites chased them like a swarm of bees. Verse 34, the Lord had sworn, not a man of this evil generation will see the old land. And so then in chapter 2, through to verse 11 of chapter 3, we read of the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And Moses remembers the, the journey that was taken. Moses recalls the, the peaceful progress and the battles that were fought. God was with them. And his plan 
was unfolding. And then in chapter 3, verses 12 to 19, the Lord's will for Moses and Joshua is revealed. Moses prays and appeals to God regarding his future, and God alludes to what is ahead for Joshua. But most of those chapters is on the wandering, wilderness wanderings of these people. Now, during the past week, I was uh, considering how the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. And, and, you know, it may have seemed pointless. And, And they may have asked, why? When Christoph introduced us to the the series of sermons uh, on Deuteronomy last week, he referred to the film Tree and Spotting. Now, I did go and watch a little bit of it, only a little. And as far as I interpret, it's about a generation of young people who were lost in the wilderness they had turned to. A desert land of addiction which was deceptive. They were completely deceived. And they were a a young group of people who had rebelled, and rebellion was rife. And the film conveys a world that involves many choices. I quote quote a little from the film, and and this was referred to last week. Choose your life. Choose, sorry, choose your future. Choose life. But by, but why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. You know, this is not unlike what we are beginning to, to read now in Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, which we've started to read as book by book, our book by book reading this month. Remember, the, the author in Ecclesiastes, all is meaningless. And I quote from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10 and following. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I survived, survived all my hands had done, and, uh, and survey, sorry, surveyed all my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And it's like grasping after a mist. It's impossible to hold on to. Meaningless. And what is the meaning of the journey I'm on? Have you found yourself in a wilderness at times? You know, it can happen. I met a young man this week whose father I knew well. I asked him how his father was. He told me a story which left me disturbed. This man, 25 years ago, was in a strategic job, a very public job. He appeared on the media at 
a time when we had a major community issue to control. He was an elder in a Presbyterian church at the time. He attended church morning and evening. Witness to how God was guiding him in his pressurized job. In recent years, he retired and he questioned what he had done in the past. And he had some moral issues to deal with. He rebelled against God. He ceased to attend church. His son tells me his health restricts his activities. He can't get out with his friends. He no longer plays his golf. He almost every day walks with difficulty to the hotel near his home and he's drinking too much. Regrettably, my friend has entered the wilderness he has chosen. And we don't have to be rebellious young people or a disillusioned public figure to have turned to the wilderness. Any one of us can find ourselves in the wilderness. And it may be because of poor memory. The revolt of the Israelites was primarily due to a fundamental sin. And it's one we possibly don't always recognize, but it's prevalent now as it was in Moses' day. And it is the phenomenon of forgetfulness. These Hebrews were overwhelmed by the thought of their immediate future. The facing of the formidable Amorites and the size of the task they were to undertake. These people beyond the mountains were like giants, far too powerful for these Israelites to oppose. And Moses assures them that the Lord will be going before them and he would overcome the challenge just as before in Egypt. But they had forgotten the God who had been their refuge and strength, to use the words of Psalm 46. And Moses speaks to them of three characteristics of God. He gave them three clear pictures to recall. And in chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, Moses said, The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries the son. All the way you went until you reached this place. They had forgotten that God will fight for them. They'd forgotten that God was a victorious God. And he fought the battles and he uh, and he encounters the enemy in advance. The Lord God, he says, will fight for you. God dealt with the challenge, remember, of the Egyptians as they pursued the Israelites. They were defeated at the Red Sea before their very eyes. But they've forgotten this. They've forgotten that God is a caring father. How God has sustained them and had provided for them in a dry and desert land. 
He'd carried them on their shoulders as a father carries his child. And despite what age the child may be, the father will constantly carry the child. He was upholding them the whole way to the place they were. They'd failed to remember, verse 33, the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. They'd forgotten how God had mapped out for them their journey. He had been their satnav by day and night and guided them to this safest route. He never allowed them to take a treacherous or hazardous route. Now, I can confess <clears throat> to those times when I have forgotten what God has been to me. And I've spoken to people and observed people who have forgotten what God has been to them. And when we forget, we can easily find ourselves in the desert of confusion or even agnosticism. We can forget that we are part of a victorious team, the church. We forget that Jesus has won the victories for us. Christ who died for our sin upon, uh, for our sin, took our sin upon himself, has defeated the curse of sin and has won the victory over death. He is with us and he leads us on the pathway of life we are on. We're standing on the threshold of the future every day and Christ has prepared the way for us. We are to trust him. When we're anxious, in the wilderness of anxiety, just like the Israelites who feared the challenge ahead, we remember Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. It will worry about itself. See, we must remember Jesus is already there and he will see us through. Remember Jesus in the wilderness, in the wilderness of temptation, tempted in every way just as we are tempted. And he used what we referred to last week as his favorite Old Testament book, Deuteronomy. And with quotes from it, he puts Satan in his place. You know, regrettably, following the COVID lockdown, I have recognized many who were faithful followers of Jesus and were a church worshiping regularly have slipped into the wilderness of indifference to the church, who are in the wilderness of agnosticism, who have adopted a culture of narcissism, who have forgotten the Jesus whom they once called savior and friend, who have forgotten the scriptures which they read as the bread of life. And prayer is no longer the, the conversation they used to have with Jesus. When we consider the, the culture of today, the pressures of everyday life, 
the condition of society and the confusion of politics, it does seem like we are all in some kind of ever-ending desert. No clear oasis to be seen. For those of us here today and those of us may, may be watching on this on the online, remember your faith in Jesus and the God of grace who doesn't abandon us and the oasis of church worship you may need to get back to. Remember the love you find in Jesus who died for you and the love you find in Christ's followers who welcomed you and supported you. I take you now to the end of Deuteronomy 3, to where Moses is once again on the threshold of the promised land. He prays that he might cross the river and see the, the, the God or the good land. But God was still angry with Moses because of the Israelites. And in God's will and sovereignty, Moses had completed his mission and was going to wasn't going to enter the land. His future was to enter the presence of God at God's chosen time. Moses had made the right choices, was a faithful leader, a committed pastor, and only one more future choice to make, to be obedient to God's will. We accept we have one big choice to make and exceeds all choices. It exceeds what choice a teenager may make regarding their future education or career. It exceeds the choice of a lifelong partner. It exceeds what house to buy or electric car to invest in. It exceeds the next holiday that we may be going on. It exceeds how we will manage our finances in this current economic climate. It exceeds which nursing home we may choose to reside in. Are you trusting God and his grace for your future? There, there's the story told about the former USA president, Ronald Reagan. Now, it may be fictitious. Uh, I, I'm not sure. But as told, Reagan used to, when young, pass a shoemaker's shop and admire the shoes. He called in quite regularly. And the cobbler one day offered to make the young Reagan a pair of shoes. But, it, but he delayed deciding whether he wanted a, a round toe or a square toe. The cobbler asked him numerous times, but Reagan couldn't decide. One day, the shoemaker, as Reagan was passing by, called him in. And when Reagan got, entered the, the, the shoemaker's shop, the cobbler handed him, wrapped in paper, a pair of shoes. And Reagan was greatly appreciative. And when he unwrapped and looked, one shoe had a round toe and the other a square toe. We ought to make the right choice 
as we stand at the threshold of our future. Possibly you are in some form of wilderness at present. You can trust God and Jesus Christ to lead you through it. Maybe you have to remember where you once were in your relationship with Christ through faith and get back to where you were. Maybe you have to remember the moments when Christ spoke to you in church and you were able to fight the battles. Christ carried you through. He was faithfully guiding you. Maybe you're standing on the threshold of a big decision you have to make in your life. Are you going to let God in on it? Seek his help and wisdom. Maybe you're a young person on the threshold of making a decision about your career or education. Are you choosing to ask God to guide you? And will you consider how you can serve him? To choose Christ who died and rose again is to choose life. It is to choose your future. There is a promised land all prepared for you. And Jesus has gone ahead of you to assure you it is right for you. You see, Christ has fought the battle. He cares for you as a father and he forgives your times of forgetfulness and is ahead of you to make the journey better. Choose your future. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Let us pray.